Welcome to Whores Talk Whore. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello and welcome to Whores Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. And I'm Melinda. We are honored and so excited to welcome back to the show one of our favorite guests. He is one of the writers, directors, and producers of the fan film and unofficial or maybe official sequel to the original Black Christmas film titled It's Me, Billy, available to watch now on YouTube and Vimeo. And we will definitely put those links in our show notes if you've not already seen them all over our social media and such. Uh, welcome back to the show, Dave McRae. Thank you so much for coming back to talk to us about It's Me, Billy. Thank you very much for having me on, ladies. I really appreciate it. Anytime. You are welcome to come on our show anytime. Um, before we start talking about your film, which Mindy and I have both watched multiple times now, okay. I <laughs> do have to say to our listeners, if you have not watched It's Me, Billy yet, I'm throwing out your spoiler warning here. We're going to try not to be super spoilery with our discussion, but as Dave stated in one of our emails, that it may be kind of hard to have a full discussion about the film without some spoilers. So you've been warned. Um, we last talked with Dave this past February. It's episode number 86. So if anyone hasn't listened to that interview yet, please go check it out. As of May 28th, Dave, your film has been officially released to the public, and as of today, right now, It's Me, Billy has almost 500 views on Vimeo and over 20,000 views on YouTube. Congratulations. Right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. How has the reception to It's Me, Billy been so far? I think the reception has been... Uh uh, overall, I think it's been really good. Uh, you know, obviously no film is without its criticism or critique, uh, especially one that has high expectations. Uh, if you are a, you know, big, huge Black Christmas fan, um, I can totally understand how some of the bold decisions we make in the movie, you know, you're either going to like, you're going to get, or maybe you're not going to get. Um, so certainly I, I, I can... It doesn't surprise me that, that you know, there are some people that are like, oh, I don't know, and uh, what about this, or what about that, or I don't know. But in a general sense, I would say that uh, uh, the reception has been overwhelmingly positive, which is, uh, which is good. That's great. You know, I've, I've not really um, seen any negative comments, and if I do, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to gloss over them. But, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion, and of course. if people think they can do better, then they should make their own fan film. Yeah. <laughs> well, and something to, like, myself... And Bruce, what you know, the one thing that 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 we uh, did with this film, and and it, and it's obviously not now that the cat's out of the bag. And I made a post about this on social media. I can say this uh, is that you know, it's me. Billy was designed to be episodic, and mm. so now I couldn't tell you that when we were talking in February, and I couldn't tell anybody that you know, leading up to the release of the movie, because then that would give away that the film obviously ends on an uncertain <gasps> note and that, you know, there's a bit of a cliffhanger or there's, you know, some unresolved questions that need answers. And, and I didn't want to let anybody know that because then that kind of sets you up for that uh, probability. And um, 
so we wanted people to just kind of experience as is. So there are a lot of people, and understandably so, especially if you don't follow me or you don't know anything about me. I mean, certainly some people have watched the movie and be like, you know, that's it? I mean, you can't just end, what, what, what? That doesn't make any sense. Why would you do, I don't, so so, so that's it? Uh, no, we're hoping it's not it. Um, but when you do not have studio dollars and you do not have studio backing, I mean, if we, you know, if this was Netflix, you would have already been on to the next episode. You know what I mean? You would have been like, what? Oh my God, you know, click, uh, skip intro and go. You know what I mean? I mean that's what you would have done. Um, but when you don't have that kind of money, you have to do these things in stages. And, um, you know, you have to, we can produce studio quality, but we don't have the money to continually do that, you know, again and again and again and again over the course of like three months. It, it just takes way too much money. So we had to just do one episode and kind of uh, put it out there and, and see how it, uh, it res- how, you know, what the response is like. But uh, yes, it is designed to be episodic. So we are hoping uh-huh. that uh, we can at least bookend the story with uh, another installment. Oh my God. I I think, I think believe I Ray kind of said this in an email to Dave, but I'm just going to say it again and I'll say it many times throughout this episode, but damn you and Bruce, that's an awesome idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love the idea of having it be episodic. And now I'm like, next, next, next episode, please. Well, that's it. And you know, it's funny. It's not designed to be episodic in the sense where it's like, you know, a whole season of, you know, nine episodes or something. I mean, I guess you could. I mean, if you sat down and you actually uh, wrote it that way, I'm, I'm sure we could could figure out a way to extend it over the course of like, you know, a whole uh, season. Um, But we don't know if there's enough really to do that with Black Christmas. And the more you go on, the more the anonymity and the ambiguity begins to dissipate. And we've already sort of opened that up a little bit. You know, there are some people that are like, ah, I think the mystery's kind of gone now. And, you know, um, and the further we go on, the the more apparent that would be. So, um, but we do have an idea beyond what we've set to sort of bookend the story. So episodic in the sense that it just means it's more than one. Nice. I would disagree with the the, the mystery is gone. I think you added more mystery to the story and you, you took the, the story in a new direction and gave it like a whole new mystery. And because of um, what I'm anticipating you and Bruce want to do in the future um, with this film and where to take it, here's the million dollar question. Do you know if Olivia Hussey has watched it or has she reached out to you? Uh, She has not reached out. I don't know if she has watched it. I can't remember what we talked about in February in regards to Olivia Hussey. Um, But we, if I didn't say it then, I can say it now. We did reach out to her for this film. Um, We wanted, uh, spoiler alert, uh, people can turn it off now. uh, Or at least fast forward. Um, Go watch the movie and then come back. Yeah, right. Uh, at the end of the movie when Sam is in the basement uh, and she hears somebody behind her and she turns around and she says, Grandma, yeah. uh, we were hoping that we would, we would be able to get Olivia Hussey for that cameo. Uh, the camera would then cut and show her. Uh, which would be, you know, I mean, it would, it would blow the lid off the whole thing. I, 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 I think. And, um, but unfortunately, uh, there's two reasons why it didn't happen. Uh, the first and less so, but still very important is obviously because of, um, COVID-19 and the pandemic. Mm. And, um, uh, obviously we're in Canada and the logistics of getting somebody up to Canada 
to do that and to be in the film. I mean, she'd have to quarantine for like 14 days and, you know, the whole thing. And, you know, so it was just the logistics of it, you know, and she's older now too, obviously. She's 70 something, 71 or two. So she obviously has to be a little extra careful because of her age uh, in this regard. And we're very aware of that. So, you know, just logistically, it just, I don't think it was meant to be. Uh, one of our executive producers uh, who picked up that perk on the Indiegogo campaign, we were hoping to also have in the movie as well, but couldn't, uh, obviously, because of the whole thing. So uh, there's that. And then there's the other side that we did reach out to her. Uh, we reached out to her representative, which I believe is her husband, if I'm not mistaken. I don't no. think she has official representation. She she might, but, uh, but I couldn't find any in one of the bigger agencies in Los Angeles and uh, I believe she's repped by her husband who she's been with for years and yeah, um, the Isley brother right 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 yeah. so I I reached out to I think he has a website or something and there's an email there so I reached out I, I did try to reach out to Olivia Hussey on Instagram didn't hear back not surprising um, so I reached out through his email uh, because my understanding was he's her rep uh, and I didn't hear back so, you know, it's entirely possible he's, you know, being a little protective. Obviously, it's not just he, he wouldn't, you know, he has a different kind of view, the sense that this isn't just my client. This is my wife, <laughs> you know, yeah. so I, I do understand that. Um, and it's also entirely possible that she's not interested, that she, you know, saw it and was like, meh, no, nah, I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that's entirely possible. Um, but we would love it. We would love it if Olivia Hussey could reprise her role uh, in the next installment. I mean, that's that's the dream. That's the goal. If she doesn't, for whatever reason, she doesn't want to, she's not interested, she doesn't feel comfortable, um, we can't afford her, <laughs> you know, whatever the case is. <laughs> Uh, obviously that's why you raise money. Um, then we would just simply recast. I mean, that's what you do. The story comes first and we would, uh, pay as much diligence and attention to casting her, um, as we would when we casted Victoria Miro as Sam. So, uh, we would make sure that we cast somebody in the role that you go, I believe this is her. You know what right. I mean? But the goal, obviously, would be to have her in the film. And then it becomes this, you know, cat and mouse game between Billy and Agnes and Sam and Jess. Well, Olivia Hussey, if you're listening, if you were to reprise your role, you would make millions and millions of fans extremely happy. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> It'd make me very happy, too. Uh, and it would be, Yeah. And, <laughs> and Bruce and everybody. <laughs> And, uh, but I mean, it would be an honor, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I, and I get it, right. It's a, it's an unofficial fan film, um, and, or sorry, it's a fan film. It's an unofficial sequel. Uh, and there are logistics, uh, around that in terms of, uh, you know, certain things that have to be paid attention to, but that would be the dream. That would be the goal. And to bookend the story with her would be, uh, would be amazing. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm almost speechless and forgot that I have a question for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's just dive into the movie, shall we? Um, in case it's not already clear to any of our listeners, Sharon and I did love this film. Uh, Billy, I thought, really nailed the look, feel, and mood of Bob Clark's original, but what struck me right from the start was the writing. Um, Dave and his co-writer slash director slash partner in crime, Bruce Dale, had what I consider an arduous task in front of them, um, getting the audience up to speed on what's been happening in the almost 50 freaking years. And I said like 20 plus and Sharon was like, 
Mindy, you're delusional. It's been much longer than that. <laughs> 50 plus years since the first film was released. Um, plus, you guys had to introduce new characters, explain what they're doing and why we should care. Oh, yeah. And tie these new characters into the events of the, the original film. And then move the story forward and deliver new scares and deepen the mystery of Billy. All within 42 minutes. No big deal. Yeah, Easy right. task. <laughs> um, well, you guys nailed it, and it's impressive as hell. So how on earth did you guys even approach writing It's Me, Billy, let alone deliver such a tightly written final product? It's a great question, Mindy. Um, you know, we wanted this story to be... Um, the first half of It's Me, Billy is sort of like this psychological drama. And then the second half is when things, you know, shit hits the fan and then it becomes like this real horror film. Um, but we wanted to, you know, in horror movies, and we realize this, you know, we have a, sh a short uh, runtime. So what are our goals? Well, we wanted the audience to care about these characters. We didn't want these characters to be the archetypal sort of, you know, she's the bimbo, she's the slut, she's the nerd. You know, we, we wanted them to feel real, you know what I mean? And, and have distinct identities of their own. And you know, we knew that we wanted our audience to care about these characters and we needed to bring our audience up to speed, like you just said, of what's going on. We don't have the time or the budget necessarily um, to, you know, in film, there's always the show don't tell, right? You know, you want to show your audience as much as you can uh, without telling them. Uh, now, this is dependent on a number of things. Um, we do have a, uh, a lot of exposition in our film, but it's motivated by character emotion. And, you know, if you are going to tell, quote unquote, the audience something through exposition, uh, there has to be a reason for our characters to be having this conversation. They can't just be standing there in the middle of nowhere having a conversation as if they're winking to the audience saying, oh, hey, in case you didn't get it. You know, and you see that a lot in in uh, in inexperienced film uh, with maybe, um, you know, up and coming filmmakers who are trying to get a lot out. Uh, they tend to kind of just do an exposition dump. But it's... It, it's all on how you do it and what is the motivation for the, the, the characters to be having the conversation. So, so Sam is going through a lot and, you know, she's lost her mom, she's lost her grandmother, so she thinks. Um, and we wanted to sort of, you know, piggyback on that emotion and utilize that as the catalyst that drives a lot of the exposition uh, between her and her friends. And then it feels genuine. It feels authentic because you believe, at least we hope you believe that Sam is really going through these things. And then you can have just a few moments of exposition that bring people up to speed, uh, of what's going on, uh, in the movie. And it's, it's tricky to do. It's not easy. Um, there was a lot of drafts. I think there was about 14 or 15 drafts of the script. Uh, and a lot of that was nailing the writing. How can we compartmentalize these, you know, get to the point of what's going on without it feel like we're rushing or getting to the point mm -hmm. and just kind of like a window into what's happening. Like the porch scene is a great example of that, where again, it's motivated by Sam's emotion. You understand not only what Sam is going through, but it also, gives you a window into what was going on between the dynamic 
the relationship dynamic between the three generations of women uh, between 1974 and 2021. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're kind of killing several birds with one stone there. And it's not just an exposition dump. You're really getting to know who these characters are and even who Emma is in relation to Sam. So it was tricky. It wasn't easy. But I think we succeeded at least as best we can in this kind of a situation. Yeah, I actually noticed that just because like when I was working in Chicago theater with a bunch of writers, I, I, I'm not a good writer myself necessarily, but I recognize good writing. And I realized that I never felt like I was watching an exposition scene, which I found to be very impressive. And yeah, again, well done. Like that kind of blew me away because for, I, I love him to death, but Joss Whedon has a problem with that, with exposition, <laughs> especially I love the show Firefly, but it took me like three episodes before right. I was in it. And you guys did it all, everything I just mentioned in 42 minutes, including like giving exposition without making it feel like that's what was happening. So bravo, but yeah, brilliantly done. Thank you. I, I think part of that too is, and again, I'm, I'm obviously I haven't written like a major, you know, Avengers film or anything like that. But I, I think what what helped is is keeping the characters real, you know, yeah. and like what would you be saying, you know, and and like I do understand that, you know, obviously you you have to remember there is an audience, and myself and Bruce were very nuanced with some of our approach and some of the clues and things that are in the film, um, which we can talk about, but. Definitely, uh, you know, if you write the characters as real people, you don't need to think too hard about how they're saying something, you know, because people talk over each other, they can be candid, they can be nuanced themselves, you know, Um, and I think that that really, we treated our audience uh, as if they were intelligent, you know, Ah. And, and that they can pick up on these nuanced clues of what they're saying, you know, and Sam doesn't need to turn to the camera and say, oh, I had this horrible upbringing and, you know, my mom was just an alcoholic and I just, and she doesn't need to say that, you know, she can speak very sort of nuanced in the way that she's speaking because Emma already knows this information, you know what I mean? She already knows about all this. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, but that's, uh, I appreciate you saying that and it was, it, it, it was not easy, but uh, thankfully I think it, uh, we succeeded where we needed to. And Dave, you mentioned the port scene, and I actually wrote a quote from that scene that really, I thought, stood out to me. It's where Sam's talking about her mom and her grandma, and that her grandma always said, quote, she believes they survived that night for a reason, end quote, meaning Jess and her unborn child, who we now know she ended up keeping. Mm -hmm. Um, And that (laughs) line just really gives you like a great, emotional connection with the characters and really brings in the backstory and just that one line right there. And the cast of the film, besides Billy, is entirely female. So correct. I was just wondering how you and Bruce, two men, <laughs> went about <laughs> writing the dialogue for basically an entirely female cast. Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't easy. Um, but again, when you are playing to, you know, Obviously, there, there are certain uh, ways that, that men speak or certain things that are that certain cadence and, and, and you know, the things that men will say. Uh, and there are certain things that women will say as well. We obviously do have our differences for sure. But at the heart of the story is really um, emotion. And women and men tend to feel, or we can feel emotion the same way. And so when we tapped into, you know, 
what would Sam be going through? What would she be thinking? It wasn't as difficult as we thought it was going to be, especially in those moments. It was a little more difficult when we got to the dining room scene, when they're just kind of having fun back and forth talking about Chris and Mark, because that's definitely, there definitely may be certain nuances and things that girls that age would say that, you know, us in our 40s have no idea anymore. Um, but when it came to the real emotion side of things, it, it, it was easier to write. Uh, because I think we all kind of will, you know, would experience that the same way. But it did go through drafts and the ladies did give us some pointers <laughs> and, <laughs> and some tips with certain things, which is great. I mean, that was so awesome. Uh, but was but what was really cool, too, is that there was a certain validation for myself and Bruce as well in the sense of that it, they didn't have a lot of notes either. Like they really did you know, like what we were writing, uh, just certain little things, you know, that came up that, uh, maybe Emma would say this and not that. Uh, but overall, I think, uh, you know, we did a pretty good job. Um, I think, you know, when you focus on story and you focus on character, especially when you're writing a drama, I mean, you know, if you're writing a comedy, you may have to be like, ah, oh, what, you know, what's the lingo? What to 22 year old, you know, girls say now, I don't know. Um, but when you're really talking about emotion, uh, and how anybody would feel in that kind of a situation. I think it's uh, it's easier to do. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think you did a great job with it. Um, let's move on a little bit to the plot of the film. So mm. Mindy and I both speculated on what direction you guys were going to take the film. And one of the reasons I think your film was so good is because you filled in the gaps and didn't try to make the film something that it's not. And it made sense to me the direction that you took it unlike a uh, certain 2006 film that I will not name. Right. Um, but can you tell everyone how you decided to take the movie in the direction that you did and be as spoilery as you want since it's your film? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing where obviously, um, you know, if we were doing... Uh, our own version of the original movie. Like we were just doing a fan film. We got together with a bunch of friends and we were shooting on our phones and we were just having fun with it. Then we would have approached the characters the same way. We would have had Billy more, you know, not shown him and we would have had it all POV and because we're just doing our own version of, of that movie. And then, you know, somebody else is playing Jess and somebody's playing Barb and all that kind of stuff. But we approach this film uh, very seriously. I mean, it's a it's a sixty thousand dollar movie, Canadian. It's about forty five thousand U.S. It's you know micro low budget in the world of Hollywood, but it's still you know forty five grand is still forty five grand, and you know it's not your backyard kind of thing with your buddies, and you know we wanted to deliver studio level production value. We wanted to take this very seriously. And, you know, we wanted to approach it from the perspective of this is the sequel to Black Christmas. So by moving forward with a sequel, you are by default, at least you should be, progressing the story forward. If you're not, and you're just recycling the same, then you're just doing the same thing over again, and the story doesn't progress. Characters need to progress. Story needs to progress and evolve. And now, how much is entirely up to the writers of the movie? Um, but certainly we needed to progress things forward and we wanted to do that, but we wanted to honor the original as well by tipping our hat to it and by keeping the essence of the original film there. So we made decisions like uh, with the character of Billy, for example, the character of Billy by and large needs to be kept 
his backstory and who he is by and large, it doesn't mean we, you know, we can't get to know little tidbits more. Um, but I do agree that, you know, by and large, he must remain sort of a mystery. But how do you develop a character like Billy without giving backstory to him? Well, you have to do that through the lens of the camera. And so in the original film, he was all POV. And I think a, a one, sil well, yeah, a couple of silhouettes in the doorway of Barb's room. And then, of course, on top of her with the eye, you know, so there's there's a little bit of that. But we wanted to show Billy from a perspective that you hadn't seen before, but not show him show him, if you know what I mean. And obviously, our creative choice to do that did rub some fans the wrong way. Um, but and it's, un, and it's completely understandable. But again, we needed to progress this character. So how do you progress him without actually, you know, progressing him? And again, that's through the lens and how you show him. So that was why we decided to do that with Billy. With the story... Uh, again, it's about uh, where do we want to go? You know, we do know where we want to go and we're putting in the first 42 minutes of, of that story. So um, it really came down to, we knew we wanted to bring Agnes in, um, but, and contrary to popular belief uh, by some fans who think that we are nodding to the 06 movie uh, that decided to bring Agnes in and go left mm. with it, um, we decided to go, you know, the other direction. Left, I mean, in terms of direction, not political. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, I can totally see people going left. What are they talking about? I just mean, you know, people go right, some go left, some go up, some go down. Um, it's, just, it's just a figure of speech, folks. Um, so they decided... To, they decided to go one way with it there. I'll phrase it like that. And uh, yeah. we decided to go the other way. And the character of Agnes was not, like Agnes being Billy's sister was not uh, um, uh, invented for the 06 movie. I have a feeling that, especially younger people, ha have probably seen the 06 movie more or over the original. Uh, the original is still one of those kind of, you know, niche, obscure cult classics that not a lot of people have seen. So I, I can understand how when people see Agnes in our movie, they automatically make the association to the 2006 Black Christmas. Uh, oh. That's not where we got it. Uh, we're not nodding to that movie, as I said, on social media when you are nodding to something you have to like what you're nodding to and uh, <laughs> we don't like that movie so it's not a nod um, we just you know took that idea uh, and decided to go the other direction with it now it's also important to note that even Bob Clark uh, you know the character of Agnes that name was introduced in the original film right and um, of course, we really don't know who she is in that movie. We assume that obviously through lines like, you know, Billy, where's the baby? You know, where's Agnes? What did you do? Um, we assume that she is a baby or was a baby at some point. Bob Clark even said years later that in his mind, Agnes was Billy's sister and maybe she was abused and maybe Billy killed her and his whole family and who knows, right? So that's where the inception comes from, is from that uh, original film. And we wanted to bring Agnes into it as well in a very interesting way um, that would get the wheels turning. So, um, you know, it, it was really, hopefully everything I'm making or saying makes sense. Um, it's No, it, it does. It really was, uh, I know I'm talking a lot, but there's so much um, to talk about. And, uh, um, it really is just about knowing the direction you're going and progressing the narrative forward. You know, what do we need to do to keep this Black Christmas, but to progress it forward so we're not just doing the same thing over again? Well, a few things. First of all, I wanted to say I kind of, my jaw fell open when you, when you said what the budget was, because 
this, and I'm not just saying this because you're on our show, like this did not feel like a small independent film to me. Watching this, it looked very much like a full-on Hollywood production, in my opinion. So bravo on that respect. We'll get to Agnes later um, because (laughs) I had a very strong reaction when that reveal came, but I just wanted to um, give a quick update since our last interview with you, Dave. Uh, Sharon, actually, um, right... Was it? I think it was after It's Me, Billy came out. Or no, it was right before Sharon, right? She had me watch the 2006 Black Christmas, so I finally got to see it. Oh, yes. Um, and I was very disappointed to learn that Glenn Morgan was behind it. Um, yes. He was a co-executive producer with Chris Carter on The X-Files. His brother, Darren, is one of my favorite writers from that show. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but I was a little shocked by what they did with Agnes in that in that version. But we'll get to Agnes in a little bit. I think Sharon had something to follow up with. But yeah, I just wanted to say that, oh my God, it did not look like an indie film. I was shocked when I heard what your budget was just now because it was beautiful to watch. I appreciate that. Yeah, we worked really hard. And, and uh, you know, again, big shout out to our DP, Greg Bennett. Uh, who's a two-time CSC, that's the Canadian Society of Cinematographers. He's a two-time CSC Award nominee. He's he's the real deal. I mean, he's been doing this for 25 years. He's a CSC alum, and, uh, you know, this is what he does. So uh, part of the reason why the movie looks so good is is thanks to him. And, of course, we also shot on the Aerie Alexa, which, of course, is cinematic cameras. Um, you know, these are the movies they shoot, you know, 1917 Joker Game of Thrones I mean we were using the same cameras mm-hmm. so um, obviously that's another reason why it looks it looks so good however as I always say you can have the best piano in the world and if you don't know how to play it it's still going to sound like crap <laughs> so uh, big shout out to our team and our lighting team that made it come to life yes thank you everyone who worked on the film I mean incredible job I echo like all of Mindy's sentiments on that it It really was a beautiful film to watch and does not look like a fan film. So if you hear fan film and you're like, "Eh, I don't want to check it out because you think it's going to be like low budget. Yeah. Shot with an iPhone. That's not the case at all. No, not at all. Um, And I just want to go back to um, what you mentioned briefly about Bob Clark um, and his interpretation of Mm -hmm. the backstory for Agnes, because I actually found this on the Black Christmas wiki fandom page. It was from a Black Christmas documentary that I have not watched, um, but need to find it and watch it. And in it, Bob Clark revealed that he had a backstory for Billy in it and that Billy was the mentally unstable son of two parents whom he murdered on Christmas Eve. And then he locked his baby sister Agnes up in the basement, but she escaped, went to the police and resulted in Billy being sent to a psychiatric hospital. So I don't know if you ever heard that whole backstory before or um, parts of it. And if you use that knowledge to help you with the storyline of your film? Um, yeah, I, uh, I I have heard bits and pieces of that. Um, not to quite that extent. Um, but I have... I did know that Bob Clark did have a in in short no I mean the uh, the answer the extent of what you're saying was not uh, taken into consideration to that full extent obviously uh, when we were doing our film uh, my understanding is and rightly so uh, that again Bob Clark had that idea of who Agnes was and his re- and her relation to Billy um, 
but didn't necessarily reveal the extent of that on screen in the original film. And that is actually good writing. I mean, to any writers out there, you know, even if you're not going to put the full extent of your intention on the screen, you as the creator have to know what that is um, because it will only help to uh, flesh out those nuances and details that you are putting into the character excuse me, and and uh, be able to um, either progress the story further with yourself or with somebody else. I mean, there's a there's a there's a great um, example of this in terms of a no, no in the in the film Halloween five, the revenge of Michael Myers from 1989. Uh, I forget the director's name now, Dominic Orth- Orthinian, something or other. Anyway, um, I always get his name mixed up. Um, but there's uh, in that film, we are introduced to this man in black character that comes out of nowhere. And there's this famous quote, and I'm paraphrasing it, of course. Um, when he was asked, what is this all about? He says, oh, I don't know. He said the film didn't have enough mystery. So I'll just let the guys who, who are going to do the next one worry about who he is. I mean, that is one of the biggest no-nos of all time. And now that doesn't mean that the next guys who come in can't figure it out and make it work, but that's not what you, you don't put something into a movie just for the sake of creating mystery. Uh, You as the creator and as the writer have to know where you're going, even if it doesn't end up going in the way that you want it to, you have to know because it's those subtle nuances that you bring into that character that can help it feel fulfilled and complete. Um, and so Bob Clark did know, even though it didn't wind up on screen fully. Mm-hmm. Um, but to the extent of what you're talking about, I knew bits and pieces of that, but I did not know actually that, uh, um, I'd have to see the documentary. I didn't know that she was supposedly a, uh, uh, had escaped and, and went and called the police, but, um, which yeah, actually ties into your story even better in my opinion, especially like the fact that you didn't know that, like, that's just like great like it, no. it, it ties in perfectly yeah not not to that extent i didn't know uh certainly again i knew their relationship and 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 uh uh and that he likely maybe abused her and he killed his family and all that kind of stuff but but not the uh not the escaping part no i think i do have a blu-ray like collector's edition of black christmas and it's the it's a two disc set and it has a lot of extras on it that i haven't even made it all the way through i think that documentary might be on there. I'll have to check. And if it is Sharon, we'll watch it. But, um, I just yeah, got a, sorry. I just Go got a text from, uh, Bruce and he says, hello. Hello, <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> we love your booby. <laughs> I will let him know. Um, I, uh, I know that there's a lot of TV shows. I feel like that do that a lot where, yeah. and it's very obvious for the ones that like go in and just are like, let's do this because it's cool. And I'm not going to name any because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. <laughs> Besides like those that do, you're right, maybe the story gets away from them, but they did sort of have an end game in like a full fleshed out story in mind when they started. It's kind of obvious sometimes which ones do and don't. Yeah, and that's that's part of what we've, and again, you know, for those of us or for those who are watching It's Me, Billy, you know, please understand that the movie doesn't end like that just because we didn't know how to end it or we just wanted to be shocking or cool. Uh, We definitely know where we're going. And like I said, if this was Netflix, if we had Netflix or Hulu behind us, I mean, we already would have been on to the next episode, you know? So um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's deliberate. It's, it's not just because we ran out of money or something. (laughs) (laughs) 
The second time that I watched It's Me, Billy, I actually did a double feature and watched the original film and then your film right after. And I have to say that watching back to back, the two tie together like so well. So anyone who hasn't watched it yet, or even if you have, I suggest doing a double feature um, just because I think you'll appreciate uh, It's Me, Billy even more um, and see how well it really does go together. And I actually watched the original using subtitles because it can be really, really hard hearing everything that Billy's saying in the phone calls, especially when he's talking about Agnes and the rabbits. When you and Bruce wrote the screenplay, how much did you guys utilize Billy's dialogue from the original film to help write the script? Great question, Sharon. Um, so Billy's dialogue was written in the script uh, when Sam uh, is on the phone in the movie. Uh, obviously, we have two phone calls in our movie. We would have loved to have had more, but being a short film, obviously, we uh, that is how many we had. And um, our actor who actually plays Billy in the movie, the physical embodiment of the character, which is Brian Charles Peter. Big shout out to Brian, who just did such an amazing job. And that is his real hair, by the way. Um, <laughs> and uh, he would say off camera and he would read while Victoria was was on the phone and I always knew that that, that I was going to uh, be the voice on the phone uh, and uh, you know in post-production obviously I was going to do that being um, a professional voice actor that's that's sort of my area of expertise so it was sort of a natural fit to be able to do that and bring that character to life but there are a few little times that Brian does appear in the um, in the phone call as well, there's a there's a a great moment when Sam is on the phone in the living room the first time she hears him, and you hear like almost this it it's almost like this maniacal laugh, you know, it's just like this this creepy laugh in the mix of uh, of the whole thing, and that's actually Brian, that's not me, um, and it was just so amazing that I had to use it, but how we approached it was um, in the original film. Again, there's more there's more phone calls, so there's more opportunity to flesh it out. But amongst Billy's rambles, uh, you do get clues and insight, as you guys know, uh, to sort of what's going on or, or who he is or maybe his backstory a bit. You know, things like, you know, Billy, you know, where's Agnes? Why'd you touch the baby? You know, all that kind of stuff. And then in there, you hear like what sounds like just arbitrary nonsense. We wanted to kind of play it the same way with ours. And so I listened very carefully to what the phone calls were with Billy, the nuances of the performances, the pitch, how quickly it changes, um, you know, the cadence of, of, of when there is a moment of what just sounds like nonsense mixed in with something that could be a clue. And we wanted to bring in our film clues to, uh, and there's a few of them, clues to the original film and what may have happened and uh, certain clues that could get the wheels turning kind of in the audience's mind um, to, yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but, but just things like, like, um, you know, when you hear, uh, well, I mean, you hear Billy interpret, you know, um, on the phone in our film saying, you know, why did you let her go, Billy? Why did you let her go? You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, who's Billy talking about, you know? And then of course that, you know, he's likely talking about, you know, that that's Agnes likely through Billy's mind asking Billy why he let Jess go. You know what I mean? I mean, out of anybody, why did you let her go? Why did you let her go? Right. And then um, uh, and then, of course, there's a, a, a creepy moment that still gives me goosebumps is when they're the three of them are listening and you hear uh, Billy say that he should have killed the baby. 
you know, I yes. should have killed the baby, you know? So there's, there's, there's things in there. It's like, there, there is arbitrary nonsense, of course, but there are little clues that we drop in there that hopefully give people some insight into Billy's mindset and what's going on. It's that, it's that establishing that foundation of what will hopefully be all revealed, uh, in the, in the, in the next chapter. Um, so again, the approach was the same, just paying attention to the original film and the nuances of the performances. I have to say, um, when you're talking about things that give you goosebumps, um, I, I think it was that second call where they were all listening in and there's some, and I, I'm obviously not speaking verbatim, but I, th- I, I, there was some line that, that made me think, and it was about like, why did you let her go? That kind of thing. And bringing up the baby that not only reminded me of Billy's comment that sets Jess off in the original where he says, you know, like having a wart removed where she talked about wanting an abortion. But then I just got, there was a moment where I had the sense of he wants the full collection because Mm. Jess, I didn't know yet that Jess was where she was in the basement. Right. (laughs) Spoiler alert. But, um, also that like he of course he knows who Sam is and he was aware of who the, her mother was like that whole idea scared the crap out of me. So well right. done. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but I yeah, oh, pitch perfect. On, I know that's what you do for a living, but like the, the phone calls were were excellent. And um, I'm going to just get a little bragging rights in really quick here yeah, because do it up. The Agnes reveal, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I squealed. I was watching it, the screener, alone in my living room, like with my cat. Like, I know that sounds kind of sad, but we're still sort of <laughs> in a pandemic here, whatever. Um, and I didn't want anyone else to watch screener, obviously, because it hadn't been released yet. But I squealed with the Agnes <laughs> reveal. And I'm just going to say, sorry, Sharon, but Sharon was like, yeah, I didn't get that at first. So, sorry, Sharon. You won at trivia when we played our last trivia round. I have to throw that out there. Did you suspect when Victoria no. ran out to the car and it was Mrs. Crane? Were you at any moment, at any moment thinking, I don't know? Well, I was nervous because anytime you're in a horror movie and you're in a, like, a, sort of house that's out in the middle of nowhere and you see a random car, you always get worried. Yes. But I didn't. <laughs> I didn't suspect. And I literally, um, Sharon was out of town actually while I watched it. Mm. But, and I think I told you this in the email, Dave, but uh, yeah, and spoiler alert already, if that's not evident. But I literally didn't care that she was out of town. I texted them, Sharon and Spencer. Oh my God, Sam just got in the car and the lady revealed that her name is Agnes. <laughs> like I lost it. Um, I, but no, I, I, and I felt like maybe I should have seen that coming, but I didn't and I loved it. So how did that come about? Like, how was that reveal? How did you guys come up with that reveal? Because that got me for sure. <laughs> well, we just, you know, again, it, it, it all comes down to knowing where you're going. And knowing the style of movie you're creating, the foundation for what we're setting, right? When you look at the uh, Black Christmas 2006 or Black Xmas, I guess it's actually called. Oh, um, right. <laughs> you, you know, to have this crazy carnival barking, you know, I mean, type of reveal of Agnes in that movie makes sense when you look at the rest of the movie. You know what yeah. I mean? And who Billy is and skin cookies and incest and, you know, and the way the film is presented, it would be strange all of a sudden if there was this real deep seated, you know, 
incredible moment with this Agnes reveal or something, right? I mean, the rest of the movie has to fit the foundation for what you said. So, you know, Agnes in the 06 movie was played by a guy, you know what I mean? And, 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 um, uh, you know, and, and then of course you have this really eccentric, weird looking version of Agnes. And then, you know, I mean, it just, it, it makes sense when you look at the rest of the movie. So with us, our film was much more mature. And it was much more psychological. And so our reveal then is much more mature. It, it makes sense that the re, that the reveal would be nuanced and more mature. She doesn't have to run out onto the stage going, I'm Agnes. She doesn't need to do that. She just turns and says, please, dear, call me Agnes, okay? Like as if it's a throwaway line. Yeah. You know, as if it doesn't mean anything, you know, because it doesn't mean anything. Because to Sam, it might not mean anything to her. Right. You know what I mean? And so... You know, it is for the audience, obviously, at that moment. But Caro, and shout out to Caro Coltman, who played um, uh, Agnes slash Mrs. Crane. Her performance was so nuanced and so great. Um, and that's the way we wanted her to play it, was just a moment where the subtlety and the inconspicuous nature of the reveal is what is so chilling. Um, it's it's not a moment where, you know, it's this big Ta-da! You know, yeah. I mean, even though it is kind of, it's it's not, there's not a lot of fanfare attached to it. Um, and uh, and that was deliberate. And, and again, it's all because of the style and the feel and the tone of the rest of the movie. It would be strange all of a sudden if, you know, she pulled the car over and she got out of the car and she attacked Sam right there and threw her up against the hood and saying, I'm Agnes, yes. I mean, it would be so weird. <laughs> I mean, it would be like, the hell's going on here, right? So the reveal had to play with the rest of the tone of the movie. Well, my neighbors are good people, so um, they didn't seem to mind me scream in the middle of that. So they might not thank you as much, but I thank you for that. That was, Amazing. <laughs> that was a good one. Let's go back to giving more accolades to your crew. Um, I just want to say the lighting, the sound design, oh. the sets also set this film apart from most other fan films and, you know, small budget films and made it look like a really like big Hollywood film. How did you find this amazing house to film in? And if you say that this is your house, I'm quitting my job immediately and starting my career as a voice actor because clearly I'm not making enough money. Yeah, me too. It is my... No, 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 no. no. It's... Uh, it is Can not... Can we move in is, with you? No. <laughs> yeah, I, I, got, I got a lot of room. Um, uh, Spencer, come on up. So... Um, I'm there. Left, exactly. Contrary to popular belief by some people who've watched the movie, and again, this is part of the nuance that Bruce and I put into the film. We're treating our audience intelligent. We're not sort of spoon feeding them information. We're just kind of presenting as is and allowing the audience hopefully to fill in those those gaps and clues. And of course, if we get to do another installment, those nuances will only uh, uh, become more apparent. Um, but uh, contrary to popular belief, the house that is in It's Me, Billy is not the Black Christmas house from the original film, nor is it supposed to be the original house from the movie. Uh, it is supposed to be Jess Bradford's house that she purchased however many years ago, way up in the north, uh, to get away from it all, uh, get, to get away from the unwanted attention from her book, The Belmont Murders, which she became very successful with. She made a lot of money on. She did talk shows and interviews, mm -hmm. and through that, of course, she would get prank calls, not from Billy, but just from, you know, people being dumb and harassing her, and she wanted to get away from it all, so she moved way up north, um, well, not 
not way up north, but, you know, up away from um, Bedford, let's say, uh, to be um, isolated. And she became maybe a bit of a recluse. Um, and Sam, of course, would spend a lot of time up there with uh, with her and, uh, and her friend Emma as well and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, we knew... So it is not supposed to be the original house, just for people out there who, who might think that it is. Uh, but we knew we wanted to have a location that was very reminiscent of the original house. And um, myself and Bruce, obviously, we're from Toronto. We live in Toronto. The original Black Christmas uh, was shot here in Toronto. And the house is here. And in February of 2020, we uh, about a month before the pandemic hit, we actually went down to the original Black Christmas house to try and secure it for this film. Not as the main location, but we originally wanted to open the movie with the original house. And I'm not sure if I mentioned this in our last interview, but um, we were denied access. We didn't even get past the intercom. Um, so the opening of our movie is, uh, there's two things that are happening. It's a bit of a meta approach. The dialogue you hear between the ladies in the car about how, you know, I just wish we had gotten in, you know, yes. Sam, mm. you know, we didn't even get past, you know, the intercom and all that kind of, that's very much Bruce and I, that's oh what happened God. to Bruce and I. <laughs> so, so it's our way of getting the black Christmas house in the movie without it being in the movie. Love it. And, um, so it's a bit meta there, but that's not the only thing that's happening. Obviously that would be a little too self indulgent if that was the only reason for it. Obviously we are introduced to Sam's character, the emotional state. She's being denied access to the sorority house, which is a house her grandmother used to talk about all the time. And in order to be, de- and, uh, because she's being denied access or, um, yeah, because she's being denied access to that, she feels subconsciously that, um, at the very least, that she's being denied access or being denied the ability to grieve that part of her grandmother. So, you know, th- that's really the most important thing that's happening there. But it is a bit meta and uh, very symbolic. Um, but we wanted to have a house that was reminiscent of the original house as our main location. And we were looking at mansions in Toronto, obviously Toronto being the fourth largest city in North America. Obviously it's not, uh, you know, there are affluent areas of the city and uh, some that do have their homes up for um, film crews and things like that to come and shoot. But as you can imagine, it ain't cheap. (laughs) And, uh, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it can be, I mean, many, many thousands a day. And so... I was like, ah, it's a little disappointing. And uh, anyway, I found this uh, this home, uh, this other home um, in Almont, Ontario, which is about four and a half hours from Toronto, about 40 minutes from Ottawa, Ontario, which is our nation's capital. That's our Washington, D.C. And it's in this little town of Almont. And it's a beautiful town right on sort of this river. And, and it's very pretty. They shoot films there all the time. And I saw this house and it wasn't, cheap but it was cheaper than shooting in toronto and more in line with probably what our budget was going to be and so i reached out to them and uh the rest is history they were excited we went up we did a location scout we fell in love with the place uh and everything you see in the movie is the actual house that is the attic of the house that is the basement of the house wow um so we were uh we just fell in love and uh, we just needed to shoot there so yes it's not the original home but you can't do a black christmas home and not have like a real you know uh ominous house to go along with it (laughs) Well, two things about that. One, this goes back to your comment about um, not spoon feeding things to the audience. I did notice on social media briefly, there were a few comments about that, that where people were confused that mm-hmm. it, about the fact that it wasn't the original home. But um, 
as you just mentioned, that is discussed in the opening scene. Like I didn't have that question at all because I was paying attention. Right. <laughs> um, and then the other thing, though, that I loved about it was that, no, it wasn't the original home, but I found it interesting that Jess found a house that was somewhat reminiscent. I mean, those that staircase definitely you know, reminded mm-hmm. me of the original sorority home. But then as Emma is showing uh, Justine around, I, I think Emma makes the comment in passing because they're like going up the stairs as Jess is, or Jess, Sam is still downstairs. Emma says, oh, yeah, there's a lot of great places to hide. And right. I just got the chills. Like that just scared the crap out of oh, me. Oh, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I, I, I was surprised that so many people we're confused by that, but I guess it goes back to, you know, how much you pay attention. And Yeah, and-, and I think, you know, it's a horror movie and I think people are, you know, I think some people are maybe surprised of how mature it is maybe. Um, you know, it's a lot, there's a lot of drama and emotion in it as well. It's not just a, you know, Friday the 13th slasher movie where, where you know, you don't care about anybody. Um, so, <laughs> but the home too, I mean, despite the fact that yes, we wanted to shoot in a home, obviously that was very reminiscent of the original house. Uh, it does play into the narrative as well. And, you know, Sam, uh, sorry, uh, Jess obviously became, uh, very obsessed with the events that happened to her. You know, she believes they survived that night for a reason. She was all set to have an abortion. I mean, she didn't want to have anything to do with that baby. And it was Peter that wanted it. And she was ready to, to, to go ahead with it. And she likely would have if, if, if nothing had happened to her that night. But she obviously took that as a sign. She survived that night. She was the only one that survived that night. She went on with their life believing Peter was the killer. Um, and then obviously something happened in those years that started to cast doubt, which obviously would be revealed in the next chapter. Um, and she became obsessed. I mean, she, so I, I think even, you know, it's important our, our audience knows, again, these are the nuances, right? Why would Sam, or sorry, why would Jess buy a home like that when it's so familiar to her? It's so familiar to her in some respects. Well, that's probably why, right? She's, it's, yeah. it's probably subconscious to her, right? She's obsessed. She, she needs, you know, she kept the sorority phone, right? She kept, I mean, she just, it became part of her identity. So I think there's a part of Jess that was so obsessed with it that she would make decisions even subconsciously uh, that were very sort of uh, in line with her experience from many years ago. Um, I actually had that comment. I was going to ask about that because um, since we do learn, obviously, at dinner that Jess had doubts eventually about Peter being the actual killer. Mm -hmm. uh, Could it be that was one of my questions was, could it be that Jess was maybe doing even a little investigative work on her own since she clearly was had some sort of obsession having written books, you know, chose a house that everything you just said that was reminiscent of the original, but also it in the beginning, the fact that the three girls were able to drive from the sorority house to Jess's house, what I, in what I assumed would have been a day's drive, like they had just come, it seemed to me like they had just come from trying to get into the sorority house. Correct. She clearly didn't move that far from the sorority house. Um, so I guess is she try was just maybe trying to find the killer herself or do we have to wait for part well, I two? Can't, I can't get into those <laughs> details, but, but I can say that, yeah, no, our intention was obviously <laughs> the sorority house and where she moved to, you know, it's a few hours away, right? You know, yeah, it'd be yeah. like, 
leaving your your town and driving, you know, two and a half, three hours, maybe four hours. You know what I mean? It's 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 certainly you can do it in a morning. You know, it's 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 that kind of thing. Um, but she's certainly far enough away that uh, and in the middle of nowhere that you know she feels more um, more at peace. I think up there. Um, but yes, I mean there are you know I, there are clues uh, to certain things. I mean even that great shot when Sam is in the attic and she's she discovers you know the the newspaper articles and of course the 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 books on the desk there is a transcript that's that's there and i've yet to see anybody mention it uh but there's a transcript there and again we don't we, it's not like we have this big red arrow pointing to it i mean <laughs> you know i we, took a picture of it i paused the screen and took ah, a picture of it with my phone because i'm i'm putting that in the post when uh we uh we Very um, cool. publicized this episode. So Very cool. That transcript says, uh, the title of it is Peter's Innocence by Jess mm-hmm. Bradford. Yeah. So clearly she was writing another book. And, uh, you know, how that factors into everything going on, who knows? Well, since you've already brought up a few Easter eggs, <laughs> let's let's get into it. So okay. <laughs> I counted 12 Easter eggs and you've said that everything in this movie was intentional. Um, so, yeah, all these were purposely there. And, you know, the super fans hopefully picked up on most of them. Mindy, do you have a count? How many uh, Easter eggs did you find? You know, I didn't count because I kind of started to and I would notice stuff, but I'm, I'm again, not just pandering here. I would, you know, put the movie on and be like, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to watch and I'm going to count. And I would just forget about counting and just keep watching the movie. So I have stuff written down, but I don't have an exact number. So we'll just talk through them. Dave, <laughs> do you know how many Easter eggs that you put in the film? Uh, I don't off the top of my head. I, I, I'm sure I have it written down somewhere, uh, but not off the top of my head. But 12 you picked up? That that sounds good. That could be right. Okay. All right. I'm sure I missed a couple. Let's hear it's, them. <laughs> all right. Well, let me let me pull up my list. If you want to, of course, it's your show. But. This this will be definitely spoilery. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Here, I'll start. I'll since you're pulling up your list, Sharon. I'll start with. Um, okay. I think the real obvious one is obviously Justine's death, and there's the eye shot, which I think mm. everybody appreciated. Correct. Um, yeah, I have the um, friend in the back seat wrapped in plastic. The, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, she. Oh my God, how that her expression looked exactly like Claire. Exactly, yeah. like yeah, it we, was creepy. We have some great behind the scenes of that that we'll eventually post. Oh, uh, sweet. Shelby was was so great. She was such a trooper, and and we we shot that. That was probably about six thirty in the morning. And we had been up all night. I mean, we had, you know, that was the last shot of the day. Uh, and uh, we shot that about four times, I want to say, because there was a couple of times where she blinked. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, we had to kind of, but, but, but it was very subtle. Like we could see it because we're watching on the monitor. And right. when we said, oh, Shelby, you know, you blinked. She's like, oh, fuck, I did. Oh, damn it. <laughs> you know, so we had to do it again. But she was amazing. I mean, she, she just, she, yeah, it looked great. I have um, Silent Night playing in yes. one part. Yes, that is the that is the uh, same version that was in the original Black Christmas. Mm. Ah, okay. And I, I do have a note here, manuscript called Peter's Innocence by Jess Bradford yeah. written down, which I think I might have counted as an Easter egg just because it's definitely uh, a throwback to the original movie. Correct, um, yeah. We have 
two unicorns. I only caught the unicorn brooch, but then you posted about another unicorn, which I missed. Yes. It's um, quick. It's very yeah. quick. <laughs> Agnes, obviously. Um, the Just the house itself and even like down to the curtains in the film were so reminiscent of the sorority house. Um, I have the rotary phone, the rabbit song, only showing Billy's eye, which Mindy, I think you said. Yeah. I actually have a quick question. Um, and I guess this goes along with the whole Easter egg thing, but the the sound, the the piano, the discordant piano sound mm-hmm. and the, with the POV shot at dinner, um, was that a new sound cue that like you guys developed to sound like the original or were you guys kind of, did you somehow like use the original kind of? No, discordant? no, all sound design was new. Um, oh, gotcha. It was just reminiscent. You know, we wanted it to yeah. be reminiscent, updated, you know, a newer version kind of, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Of, of what they did. Yeah. But I think that was definitely, I counted that because yeah, for it was sure. very, oh, yeah. very reminiscent. That, it was that great. That was intentional. Yeah. And even the title of your film, It's Me, Billy, is the last line in the original Black Christmas. Correct. And so. since you've said that, Sharon, the the credits, I would count as a wink because of the continuing falling snow. And then you hear the phone ringing slightly. That's right. Yeah. That's right. If you, There's one, too, that I don't think anybody's seen. If you look closely uh, in the attic, uh, Billy, <gasps> when he's sitting there, yes. um, uh, there's we have this bare bulb. And, uh, yes. and we love the contrast of that. But if you look to the wall, to yes. the left of the bare bulb, there's the initials BC. I, I was going to ask you about that because yeah. I, I was wondering what that Billy, obviously, but what the C uh, Well, means. not necessarily. Uh, was, for, for us, it was Black Christmas. Oh, oh, very cool. Well, also, if you take Agnes's last name, Crane, and put mm-hmm. it with Billy... You it's got spelled Billy with Crane. a K, though. That's true, too. Well, that, that is spelled with a K. That is true. Yeah, in oh. the credits, it's spelled with a K. But Ignore but me. That's, <laughs> 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 no, but it's not a bad... I mean, you know, I totally... You know, it, it's fun. I like when people speculate like that. You know what I mean? Speaking of speculation, here's a nerd alert right here. Uh, <laughs> on our previous episode, Dave, you and I kind of geeked out over Robert Wise's The Haunting, and naturally, when... Um, the neighbor will say, we've already spoiled that, but when they first get to the house and Sam meets the neighbor, she introduces herself as Mrs. Crane, and I right away was like, oh my God, that's a reference to The Haunting, because <laughs> of Hugh, Hugh Crane and like Only to the you, Crane Mindy. family. Well, Dave likes The Haunting as well, and then as the credits rolled, I was like, oh, it's spelled with a K, it's probably not a reference, but I was hoping that was what that was. It's actually not. I've always liked the word, uh, the name Kane and Crane. There's something, I don't know, uh, something eerie about the name Kane and something eerie about the name Crane for me. Uh, so I, I just, uh, it just felt kind of, I don't know, just, yeah, no, it's not a nod to anything, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but, uh, but is her name Agnes Crane? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Mm, okay. All right, so Dave, we have mm-hmm. one last question for you. Okay. <laughs> if you make this a full-length version um, or a full-length film of Is Me Billy or you have sequels, you know, whether it's one or multiple sequels, can Mindy and I be extras in the film? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, of course. I mean, geez, you know, um, yeah, if, if, if we could turn this into a, 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 I mean, if this got picked up and it was like, we love what you guys did, let's just, you know, here's five million bucks and, you know, make like a, you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Why not? And That'd be we'll great. We'll work for free. I mean, we'll, we'll buy our own plane tickets. We'll pay for housing, you know, but... <laughs> All right, that's a verbal contract, and we've that's all right. heard it. And it's it's right here. So that's how you guys get people locked in, isn't it? It's through your <laughs> podcast. That's what it is. <laughs> it's out there on the interwebs. That's I it. Noticed, I was suspiciously left out of that. Yes. Oh. <laughs> well, we need someone to carry our suitcases. Oh yeah, so. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I forgot suitcases. Yeah, I, I'm 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 glad to hear you guys though uh, are are picking up on those nuances because there are some things that, you know, again, myself and Bruce, we, we did treat our, our audience, you know, um, I mean, there, yeah, we, we, we didn't based everything so obvious, you know, and, and, um, like there were some people that said, um, I saw this the other day and said, well, you know, why didn't, uh, and, and again, this is very nuanced. So it's understandable why some people missed it. Uh, but some people said that, um, uh, you know, I, I don't understand then if, you know, she couldn't find her, you know, what, what, what phone was Billy calling Sam on from the attic? If, if, if he's, you know, using the phone to call downstairs, which is what you would assume, obviously, then when Sam is in the attic, what phone is Billy using in the attic? And why didn't she, you know, go get the car keys and leave? And, and I, I, I you know, I don't guess, you know, so first of all, for those that may be confused, um, we didn't we didn't paint this right out, but we alluded to it. Obviously, when Sam rushes into her bedroom and she lifts up her pillow and she throws back her blankets, she's yeah. we're, she's searching for her cell phone, and her cell phone's not there. And then when she's dumping her purse, yeah. she's looking for her car keys. And the car that they drove up in is actually Sam's car, not Justine's car. In the opening of the film, Sam says, thanks for driving. Sure, you don't mind. Mm, And our intention was that obviously Sam is too emotional to drive because of just being denied access to the house. She's just feeling kind of upset. And Justine was like, hey, you know, no worries. I'll drive. And then, of course, when they get to the house, just before they enter the house, you see Justine pass Sam her purse. So again, we're, you know, it's, it's, it's nuance. It's subtle. We totally understand why somebody could think that it was Justine's car and it's her car. Completely understand that. Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, maybe we were too nuanced, maybe, you know, on some things, uh, but we really wanted to play certain things as is, you know, and, and not draw so much attention to, to, uh, to being on the nose with some stuff. Uh, the phone that Billy is calling from uh, is Sam's cell phone. I mean, that's what we're mm-hmm. trying to allude to. But instead of showing Billy dialing a cell phone or up in the <laughs> attic with a cell phone to his ear, which we thought might be a strange visual, um, we just kind of thought that we'll just imply it. You know, where, oh my God, you know, she's throwing up the pillow. She's, da- you know, where is it? I don't, you know, I don't get it. And uh, hopefully fans would put two and two together. But in the next installment, again, these details that might seem a little kind of like, what? I don't, I don't, uh, obviously would continue to be fleshed out. Ooh, yeah. yeah I, I have a new theory now about what might happen in the next installment, but I'm going to keep that to myself. <laughs> um, oh. And I won't be, I won't, we're not going to give this spoiler away, but there was a moment where, uh, Billy calling from the cell phone I could see how that could have been read I don't know how to say this without being spoilery but 
that, what you revealing that now makes a certain scene make a little bit more sense. Right. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about that. I don't want to yeah. give any spoilers yeah. away because it's a good, good scene. But it's, uh, it's yeah. the kind of, again, we were, we were nuanced, you know, and, 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 you know, I think it is a, f- I do believe that it is a fair criticism if somebody says, oh, yeah, okay, I guess I see it, but I just didn't get that at all. I, you know, I think that wasn't clear enough. I can understand that totally. Um, but nothing was made arbitrarily. Like there was no, you know, decision we made where we just half-assed something or didn't think about it. Um, you know, we were very calculated in that. I mean, so much so down to the number on the rotary phone. I mean, that phone number that you see, and this yes. is a deep cut for hardcore fans. Yes. When we, we, you know, when we smash Zoom onto that phone, you know, in the original film, there's a scene where John Saxon's character comes over to the house to investigate. He comes over with a, um, a lineman, I guess, or something, who introduces himself as Bill Graham. And he walks into the living room and there's just a quick yeah. moment where he calls the operator. And he says, hi, operator. Yep, yep, I'm calling from 5596114. I think that's the number. Um, and he says that. And when I saw that scene, I was like, I gotta have that in the in the movie. And then, yeah. a, and then, so I wrote that number on the actual, you know, plate of the of the film. So real deep cut hardcore fans would be like, oh my god! So that so if there was any doubt, no, that is the house or, or the the phone from the sorority house. Jess lied. She didn't get rid of it, despite yeah. her mother's wishes. She kept it. I actually totally do. It's funny because in my notes in front of me right now, I do have that written down. And nice. I was going to ask you about that and I totally forgot. But That's yeah, okay. you were spot on. 559-6114. Five, five, one, one, Very yeah, good. Yeah, You're the yeah. ultimate fan, Dave. <laughs> well, again, again, those are the subtleties, right? Those are those things that we, you know, some things we were very nuanced on, like, you know, thanks for driving, you know, sure you don't mind, you know, things 100%. And then there's other things we were maybe not as nuanced on, but but a little sneaky, you know what I mean? And and uh, so, yeah, we, we it's, it's the kind of movie that, that there's a lot to sort of unravel. There's a lot of layers there. Yeah, I don't think you necessarily need to spell everything out for everyone. I don't either. No, Some I agree. people need that. But um, and as far as Sam running up the stairs, I mean, of course, everyone's like, no, why? You go out the front door. Don't go up the stairs. But as soon as I, I saw that and I realized, OK, well, that's what Joss did in the original. You know, like she went upstairs to check on her friends. Right. Even though she knew that she was in danger. So I was like, well, Sam's just a badass like her grandma. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's that too. There's that too. And, and, you know, there's some mistakes that Sam is making along the way too. Um, you know, so there's, there's certain, again, it's, it's so hard because you don't have that next installment. Um, but you're right. I mean, she, she is, she's brave. She's like her grandmother in that regard. Um, but there are some things that, that, uh, you know, there's, there's a few things that she does that it's kind of like, what are you doing? What are you doing that? But of course it's on purpose. And, um, uh, what was I going to say? There's something else I was going to say with that. I forget now. Oh, well. Well, while you're thinking, <laughs> I'll just jump in real quick. Uh, I uh, A Black Christmas Legacy, I think, is the name of the documentary, and I do believe it is on the Blu-ray if anybody is interested. Um, is there any chance that we could get a blooper reel? Uh, you know, it's funny. We've been asked that quite a bit, actually, and uh, there are not 
too many bloopers. I mean, That's there's awesome. a lot of behind the scenes. There, there is a behind the scenes that will eventually be released. That it's actually going to be about an hour long, so oh, wow. you'll be able. It's going to be longer than the movie, so you'll be able to see, you know, the production and 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 how it all came together. Um, That's really all I want. Yeah, but in terms of like <laughs> bloopers and deleted scenes, there's not there. There wasn't a lot of fat. There really wasn't. We were so prepared. The actors were so tremendous and so prepared. And um, uh, there just wasn't a lot of, yeah, I mean, there's a few things that, you know, kind of, but nothing that would be uh, worthy of like right. a blooper reel or anything like that. Like it was, it was pretty tight. I thought about that when you mentioned the, uh, the, the shot in the backseat of the car where she blinked. Yeah. I, you know, I oh, just, I yes. just love to see all those, all those different takes. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. I, I've just the, always loved bloopers. So for sure. Yeah. No, that's definitely there. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely there. That's something I could put up for sure. Do you have a release date for that? No, 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 we don't. We, uh, we're, our first priority now, obviously, is uh, to get our all our Indiegogo perks out to our backers. Uh, and obviously that includes the Blu-rays and all that. We have to create that now and, and get the t-shirts printed and the posters printed and, you know, everything that came with the, uh, the Indiegogo campaign. So that's kind of an ordeal in and of itself. And um, yeah, and uh, so... That's the next steps, I would say. Uh, when that behind the scenes will be on, the behind the scenes will definitely be on the Blu-ray. When it will appear on YouTube, I'm not sure yet. Awesome. Well, yeah, if you have another Indiegogo, we will definitely be supporters for sure. Absolutely. Because um, we we want to see the next installment. Um, I do too. Yeah. Um, and it- if there's any way that once they're made, we can actually purchase Blu-rays, I would be down for owning this so for just, sure yeah just saying we've yeah. had a lot of people reach out and be like oh I, you know i didn't i missed the indiegogo campaign or you know whatever it is um that is something that we're going to be talking about oh great um and kind of we have to sort of you know see what the cost will be for the extra um and uh because there's quite a few people that that want them and then we got to kind of budget for that and and uh but as soon as we know like we'll you know we'll let everybody know great thank you Dave, thank you so much for coming on our show and talking with us again. It's always a pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me. I love talking with you guys. Uh, I appreciate the support uh, that you guys have offered to the film, obviously, and I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I, I was a bit nervous with Mindy, you know, being the the huge <laughs> Black Christmas fan. I got to admit, you know, when you sent me that email and you were like, hey, I'm about to sit down and watch this, I was like, oh God, here we go. You know, I was like, you know, and then, you know, like, an hour goes by and I haven't heard from you yet. And I'm like, oh my God, what's going on here? You know, I mean, the movie is only 42 minutes. What's going on? No! Sharon was like, I actually said to Sharon and she was like, don't do that. Because I was initially going to write you and be like, oh man, Dave, I don't know what you guys were thinking. And she was like, okay, the movie goes live tomorrow. Do not give him a heart attack. Right, yes, yeah, please, please, please don't give me a heart attack. <laughs> But we just want to thank you and Bruce for It's Me, Billy, because as far as we're concerned, you've made the official sequel to Black Christmas and we will accept no substitutes. Yeah, you know, it's it's cool to hear you say that. And, um, you know, it's cool to hear some people have also said that. And it's cool because I think I said this to you in February as well. Uh, you know, when we were on set 
shooting the movie, again, it's a fan film and it's a low budget film by Hollywood standards. But because we took it so seriously and we're shooting on all professional Hollywood stuff with, you know, hired actors and hired crew and, and a, you know, award-winning DP and, and, you know, we're in this house in this location and it really did feel like we were shooting the actual sequel, you know, and on a much smaller scale, of course, um, you know, five actors, uh, and about 13 crew, but, but it was amazing, you know, to be able to be a part of this experience. And, uh, you know, not, not every film set obviously is, is as wonderful. Obviously, you know, there are film sets out there where you butt heads and you don't get along with people, but this was a great experience through and through. And, um, you know, if we're able to actually complete the story, uh, hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, uh, much of the same crew would want to return because, uh, you know, I, I, I really understand now why filmmakers tend to work with the same people. Um, I think it's important we also work with different people, um, but I can totally understand why some directors work with the same actors all the time or mm-hmm. some, you know, directors work with the same DPs on every... I think. I mean, I think Spielberg has used the same DP on every film he's done since Schindler's List, you know, and so you you understand that, you know, you you develop a relationship and a bond and a trust, you know, and, and you have a good time. So uh, you become friends, not just colleagues. So... Um, yeah, I can totally understand it. So our fingers are crossed. Yeah, and and we'll be there experiencing it with you because we're going to be extras on it. Okay, <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. We'll even get like a little like, you know, maybe a photo of you guys in the background. That's something too that that is a bit of an Easter egg. Um, the scene when when Sam enters the living room and she picks up uh, the photo yes. of her grandmother in the background. There are two other photos. Yes, There's one in a gold frame that is Knightley uh, Gaimo, one of our executive producers, Aww. and then behind. Uh, him is a silver frame uh, and those are my parents. Nice. Very nice. So I got them in there too. Do you want to tell everyone again where they can watch It's Me, Billy and also uh, let everyone know where they can find you on social media and the YouTubes and if there's anything else you want to promote or say, have at it. All right. Well, uh, you can find me on YouTube under Dave McRae. McRae is M-C-R-A-E, Dave McRae on YouTube. Uh, on uh, Twitter, it's at The Voice Man. Uh, man is with two N's, at The Voice Man. Uh, on Instagram, it's Dave McRae 79. And then on Facebook, it's Many Things Dave McRae. And you can find It's Me, Billy, right on my YouTube channel, the Dave McRae YouTube channel, or you can just, you know, YouTube It's Me, Billy, uh, and I believe it's the first thing that comes up. And you can also find It's Me, Billy on Vimeo. If you are planning on watching It's Me, Billy on a big a big screen, like a, you know, 60-inch TV or a projection screen, we recommend Vimeo. And the reason for that is because there's, um, there's not as much compression. YouTube, um, because they are having, I don't know how many hours it is a day, like millions of hours of video a day being uploaded, they tend to compress their videos more than Vimeo does. So um, if you're watching it on your phone or your tablet or you know something like that, not a big deal. You can watch it on YouTube. But if you want to get the best picture quality possible on a big screen, we recommend Vimeo for that. And that's how I watched it. And I, I second that because I actually took a picture of my TV <laughs> with like, Amazing. I have... 
I have hue lighting in my living room, so I put on my Christmas hue lights and then like took it because like just brought bringing up the the opening still. I was like, this is awesome. I was already excited. So I like took a picture of my TV. I have this like vision of Mindy baking Christmas cookies and get <laughs> and, you know, getting eggnog and starting a roaring fire and then starting the movie. <laughs> if I if I was a avid baker, I, that would have happened. <laughs> next watch. Next watch. Yeah, we'll that's right. it. That's right. it. Exactly. Exactly. I also just want to give a quick shout out to the uh, wonderful drone footage at the beginning of the film. That oh, was beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for bringing that up, Spencer. Uh, we would be remiss if we did not give a big shout out to Adam Gamble of Rise Up Pictures, uh, who uh, captured these amazing shots. This is what he does. Uh, our drone pilot uh, was amazing to work with. Such a nice guy. Very professional. Very knowledgeable. And... Uh, you know, and it was it was serendipitous. I mean, when we went up there, there was no snow. You know, we got to the location uh, November in Canada. Obviously, uh, depending on where you are, there can also not be snow. I mean, we really don't get snow here. Uh, contrary to popular belief, we do not live in igloos, and it's not snow all year round. Um, uh, we uh, and you guys are in Chicago, right? So you, yeah, you yeah. I mean, you, it's that's basically. I mean, we get the same weather, so it's not unprecedented, as you know, to be November and not have snow. Mm-hmm. And so it was like that, and we were prepared to not you know, to just kind of roll with it and, you know, kind of, okay, well, it's, it's Christmas, but it's kind of, you know, there's no snow, but it's the day we got there on Sunday, uh, it started to snow that evening and not just snow. I mean, snow to the point of the snow that you see. And, uh, it was unreal. And uh, I mean, (laughs) I mean, what luck, you know, incredible. So, uh, happy accident. Yes. A hundred percent. It's like it was meant to be. <laughs> yes, yes. We, we couldn't, like, it started to sprinkle a bit, and we were like, oh, this is cool. Maybe we'll get a dusting. Because the next day in the morning, we were planning on shooting the opening scene of the movie, which, of course, is the car scene on the side of the road. And we thought, oh, maybe we'll have, like, a dusting of snow. So, oh, it's not going to be too bad. No, it's not like a, you know, a, a dumping. Oh, this will be great. No, by the time we got up in the morning, it was like, we have to get up early because we need some of the crew to shovel. Like, it was just, an, <laughs> it, it, it was insane. It was fantastic. All right. Well, please, everyone, go check out It's Me, Billy, if you have not already. Um, I highly, highly recommend watching it as a double feature with the original. Um, Dave, thank you so much again. Uh, Can't wait to see what happens next. Me too. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. That was an awesome interview with Dave. Thank you all for listening to us. We will include the links to Dave's websites and also the links to watch the entire 42-minute film, It's Me, Billy, in our episode description. As always, you can write to us at whorestalkhorror at gmail.com with anything you want to share with us, whether it's ghost stories, true crime stories, creepy stories, UFO stories, whatever you want us to read on our show, Um, any recommendations for things to watch. Uh, We love hearing from you. If maybe you have a grandmother who wrote some best-selling books about a murder situation she was in when she was (laughs) in her college years, please let us know. Um, Please also subscribe to us, rate and review us on your uh, streaming platform of choice. It does help us get more exposure, um, especially iTunes, I think, but 
we'll take what we can get. Um, if you are able to right now, please join our Patreon and get early access to episodes, see exclusive posts, and maybe get some cool stuff in the mail. Uh, please be kind to each other. Stay safe out there. And as always, thanks, thanks for, for getting, getting creepy, creepy with us. us. Sharon, you want a beer? Uh, oh my God.